Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC. Good morning. It's 830 on Monday, October 16th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, some Mississippi children could be suffering from a common chronic disorder that often goes undiagnosed. Learn which signs and symptoms to look for. Then hear from a Mississippi school superintendent whose district is reviewing the rights of students to free speech. And is the state legislature getting too comfortable? Hear from an analyst who says some legislators may fail to act when they're not challenged. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Some Mississippi children could be suffering from a common chronic disorder that often goes undiagnosed. It's called Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD. A Mississippi doctor is working to dispel myths about the condition. Dr. Ronald Kent is medical director of Hattiesburg Clinic Connections. He says the symptoms range from trouble focusing, being easily distracted, to struggling with waiting or taking turns. Dr. Kent tells MPB's Desiree Frazier knowledge of the disorder has increased significantly over the past 20 years. Well, it generally affects about 7 to 10 percent of school-age children, and then that number drops in about half for the number of adults that are, are affected by ADHD. What are the symptoms of it? Well, as the name implies, uh, the, I think one of the primary problems is attention uh, and their just inability to stay focused on the things that they really need to stay focused on. Uh, one of the misconceptions is that they can't focus on anything, but that's just not true. It's just that they can't focus on the important things, or in, in particular if they are a little boring to them. And then the other key component is uh, hyperactivity and impulsivity. The uh, confusing part about it is, is that not everybody has everything. But to make a diagnosis, you have to have uh, what the Academy of Pediatrics has come up with is key symptoms. You have to have six of nine of the inattention symptoms to be diagnosed with the inattentive subtype of ADHD. You have to have six of nine of the hyperactive impulsive symptoms to be diagnosed with hyperactivity or impulsivity subtype. And then you have to have both combinations, six of nine of both, to be diagnosed with the combined subtype. And so when you talk about ADHD, it's really two things? It's actually three things. And that's that's very cons- confusing because the, the name, of course, has the H. You know, I have people all the time say, I have the the no AD, the no H ADD. <laughs> so so uh, but not all children uh, with ADHD have the hyperactive impulsive component. And so uh, that that causes a lot of confusion. When are children usually diagnosed? When do parents usually ask the question, what's going on with my child? Well, a few uh, are actually looked at uh, before school, uh, but uh, that's that's the, the ones that really have more of the behavioral uh, components that come from the hyperactivity, impulsivity. The vast majority of them uh, are, are have problems in school, and for that reason, uh, school age, even on up into, we diagnose some in college here, 
but the majority of them are more in the elementary, middle school uh, times of their life. And what are the primary myths that you want people to understand? The first one is really that any child who is struggling in school uh, needs to be evaluated, you know, and that they, they won't just outgrow it. That doesn't mean that for sure that every child that has school problems is, has ADHD. In fact, really 20% of all school-age children struggle with reading. So it's, it's at least twice as common as ADHD. And so I think parents hesitate, well, for multiple reasons, to not have children evaluated uh, if they're struggling in school. And so that's my number one thing. And on the list you provided, one of them is that it affects only boys. About 20 years ago, supposedly the ratio was 8 to 1 um, male to female. Now it's dropped down to about 2 to 1. And the primary reason for that is that uh, we now know that a whole lot of the girls that are affected by ADHD are not hyperactive and impulsive, so they don't look like the typical child with uh, that that we used to think had ADHD and and of course that was it's more common in boys although there are boys that just have the inattention problem and no hyperactivity and impulsivity and there are girls who certainly have the hyperactivity impulsivity uh, just like those boys do so it's almost uh, the same for for males and females but uh, still a little more toward boys. All right. Well, Dr. Kent, we thank you so much with the Hattiesburg Clinic Connections for talking with us. Well, thank you so much for giving us this time, and and hopefully folks will uh, be able to uh, help those children. That's what we're all about. Katie Townsend, the mother of three school-age children, says her 10-year-old has ADHD along with two learning disorders. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier her son is intelligent, but his brain works differently. We noticed when Noah was very young that he was, A, very intelligent, um, but B, had a little bit of difficulty in some areas of development and life in general. Things that were kind of red flags for us, and I don't specifically remember if it was tied to the dyslexia or the ADHD, but um, things like he would never get the shoe on the right foot, um, on the correct foot, um, and we'd have to tell him over and over and over and over again, or just, you know, get your get dressed, get dressed, get dressed. It was a lot of us repeating ourselves and him not um, kind of doing things the first time we told him to. He started out at the Oak Grove School District. Um, he would have outbursts in, in the classroom, so some emotional outbursts. And I said earlier that Noah is an intelligent child. We knew that very early on that he was just, a, he's a smart kid. But we, were, you know, we struggled with him not doing well in certain areas in, in school, mostly to do with the reading and the writing. Um, He was very good at math, but when it came to him not being able to do things, which we later found out was part of the dyslexia, the ADHD symptoms kind of reared their ugly head a little bit more as far as um, he would have outbursts in class, he wouldn't um, pay attention, he wouldn't be focused, he wouldn't do things the first time he was requested by a teacher. But before he went to second grade, we went through with the diagnosis at Connections where it's it's not just going in to get diagnosed with ADHD. They do a comprehensive evaluation of the child. They do a, a gamut of 
kind of analysis of the child to kind of get a, a full picture. And from there, we did get the diagnosis of ADHD as well as the dyslexia and dysgraphia. And from there, we did start him on a medication for the ADHD. It's a stimulant that um, helped him stay focused in, in the classroom. And so throughout second grade, um, we introduced that. And it did show some improvements. But because of the dyslexia, we ended up after second grade transitioning to the 3D school in Petal to help with the dyslexia and the dysgraphia. So that's kind of where we are now. And talking about the ADHD portion of it, is that the restlessness and the inability to focus? So Noah's ADHD, he doesn't fidget physically. Um, he's not one to tap a pen or to, you know, not sit still. He can sit perfectly still, but it's more his mind wanders. You ask him to do a simple task. If he's not on his medication, you're going to have to ask him 10 times before he gets it done. That's more of his symptoms rather than a physical. For him specifically, redirection was a concern. So if you uh, try to get him to go from one sort of task, say, um, a computer, you know, working on the computer to transitioning to working on math problems. He had a lot of trouble with mentally transitioning from one task to another. Now, I understand that there are misconceptions about ADHD. Did you have misconceptions? And what do people say to you that make you realize that a lot of people don't really know the facts? We heard a lot of, oh, he's just being a boy. He's just, you know, he's just being a boy, and that's just what boys do. They're busy, and they don't, they get distracted easily. You know, we heard that a lot, and I felt like we heard it too much, <laughs> that maybe he's not just being a boy, that maybe he does need some help. Well, that would lead us to believe that maybe there are a lot more children dealing with this disorder than we may think. Uh, possibly. I think um, there there are a lot of people who say, oh, you know, that kind of, you know, oh, he's just being a boy or, oh, it's just, you know, maybe, oh, maybe he's not um, very intelligent. Um, and that's heartbreaking to hear as a mother to think that people are saying, oh, well, maybe he's just not that smart. You know, ADHD doesn't mean your child's unintelligent. It just means they think differently. Katie, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about this. You're very welcome. Dr. Kent will be talking about the issue at an ADHD conference on October 19th in Hattiesburg. October is ADHD Awareness Month. Coming up, hear from a Mississippi school superintendent whose district is reviewing the rights of students to free speech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The First Amendment rights of the state's high school students are being considered in North Mississippi. Today, two high school football players in Washington County are back on the team. The pair from O'Bannon High was suspended for taking a knee during the national anthem before a game against Cahoma County on September 30th. Westline School District Superintendent Larry Green says the players were banned over uncertainty and concern the protest would affect the image of the school and the district. He tells MPB's Mark Rigsby it was a learning experience. Of course, I don't know what the reasoning was for taking the knee. Uh, when uh, we did find out about it, they said they didn't know why they took the knee. They just had seen it, uh, other players doing it, perhaps from the NFL, uh, some of those professional games. 
course, the coach was concerned about it, and the principal was concerned about it, and they contacted me. I was not at the game at the time it happened. And uh, we did uh, talk with the students and the parents and everything and uh, reviewed the situation and uh, worked through it. But uh, we did ask them to step aside uh, while we worked through the situation. They were out one game, and uh, they since have been uh, uh, reinstated onto the team. Larry, why were they suspended in the first place? I think there was some concern from the parties involved about the uh, image it just might project uh, with the team and the school because they did represent the team and the school. And, of course, uh, there's some concern out there which is being debated nationally about these issues. And until we worked through that, uh, we didn't know why it happened. We didn't know what brought it on. And once we worked through that and had an understanding with, with the players and the parents, uh, then we were satisfied with the situation, and uh, that's why we went ahead and, um, uh, you know, they're back on the team now. Did the indefinite suspension comply with the school district's policies regarding student conduct, suspensions, and free speech? We have none of that written in depth as far as that's concerned. We, we do have discipline policies, of course, and uh, we, we uh, looked at those to make sure that that was all considered but uh, as far as freedom of speech and those kind of things, that was never an issue as far as I was concerned. And uh, once the, the coach was satisfied with it, then the principal was satisfied with it, and uh, we we talked to the, the students and the parents, uh, then we placed them back. But it was not a freedom of speech uh, issue as far as we were concerned. Do you think the players have a right to protest during the national anthem? I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think that's a First Amendment right, not only of those, but all uh, people as far as that's concerned. Why were the students suspended then, if they do have a right to do that? We didn't know what was coming down with it. And uh, once we found out it was nothing uh, more than that, then that's when we went ahead and they were part of the team now. If they'd have told us that or... Uh, maybe the coach would have known it or something like that. I don't think it would have ever happened to start with. You recently had a school board meeting that addressed this subject, and you had many parents coming to speak who were very concerned about allowing the student-athletes the right to have a protest during the national anthem. What did you think about their concerns? We only had one person that came and spoke to the board meeting, and uh, they were concerned about First Amendment rights. And uh, we listened to what the person had, and he was representing the group, I'm sure. And uh, we understood that, and uh, that was discussed, and uh, we uh, took that into consideration, and we moved on with it. What will happen from now on? Well, I don't think uh, anything will happen from now on about that, uh, because we feel like that is the First Amendment right that they have. I think the coaching staff that we have will be more uh, attuned to this, and so will the administration. And if this were to happen again, I think they would be more understanding. And I don't feel like that they would be a continuing problem with it. What have we learned from this situation? I think we've learned a lot. I think it's been very positive. I think it's been a good discussion of the situation that occurs at the high school level. Uh, the fact it's happened at the national level and this debate has been out there and uh, it has brought 
down uh, in their local area. I think it's been a uh, a good learning experience is, is for the, the, the First Amendment rights for students at the high school level. And I think that's something that probably would be dis- discussed in classes and among themselves. And I think they would, because of that, uh, probably uh, be more willing to express their feelings about issues that are out there, uh, both locally and nationally. And looking back on it, do you feel bad that those players missed a game? Those players uh, were not starting players. They were substitute players uh, on the team. And, uh, you know, the fact that uh, we've been through this, I think it's been a growing and a learning and a profitable experience for us. And I think it's been a, a good situation that they have learned something from it. Do you think the school district made a mistake by suspending them? Well, I think the whole thing could have been avoided. And I said that from the beginning, uh, uh, you know, with some communication and some understanding in it. Uh, but, uh, you know, the fact that it happened, I think we, uh, under the circumstances, uh, it was handled very well. Larry Green is the superintendent of the Western Line School District. Larry, thanks for being on Mississippi Edition. You bet, and thank you. Coming up, is the state legislature getting too comfortable? Hear from an analyst who says some legislators may fail to act when they're not challenged. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's rating as a conservative red state has gone down since the last legislative session, according to the American Conservative Union Foundation, which measures conservative ideals and policies, Mississippi's overall legislative rate in 2016 was 62 percent. Then, during the 2017 session, the Senate rating dropped 14 points to 48 percent, and the House dropped by 10 points to 52 percent. The foundation says the ratings help illustrate how each chamber of the legislature, as well as individual members, prioritize a wide variety of issue areas that directly affect Mississippians. Jackie Anderson is Director of Policy and Public Affairs at ACUF. She says they looked at every bill and legislator during the 2017 session to produce average scores for each chamber as well as individual scores for each sitting member. So we kind of use a three-pronged approach for the state. We look at fiscal and economic issues, we look at social issues, and we look at government kind of accountability and transparency issues. What did you find out about Mississippi? It's been a pretty red state, but what we saw this year was that uh, the scores for each chamber actually went down. What's really interesting about that is this is the first mm-hmm. time the House in many, many years has had a supermajority. Yeah. So they had the ability to get a lot more done in their favor. So why would that percentage drop? Well, we see that kind of on the federal level, too, right? So when you look at what's happening with Congress, we have a record number of GOP governors across the country. We've got 34 governors uh, that are Republicans. Um, We've got both chambers of Congress and we've got a GOP White House now, too. But what we're seeing is people are becoming complacent in their ideological stances and they're becoming complacent in their kind of campaign promises. And, you know, a lot of people have different opinions on that. It could be because they think, well, you know, we've won, right? We've gotten to where we want. We got the votes. We're in office. And now they're just kind of coasting, trying to keep their seats because we know how leadership works. You know, a lot of what elected officials have to do is compromise. 
So instead of coming off the bat and saying, we've got to take this seat, we've got to make the state red, um, we've got to take this chamber, we've got to make the Senate red, we've got to take the White House, we've got to make the White House, you know, more conservative, we're already there. So it's less of a kind of offensive fight now where people, I think, are kicking up their heels and saying, well, we've got it now, we are the majority. And so what you see when that happens is that people tend to get a little complacent in their campaign promises, in their ideological platforms and, and things like that. So we certainly hope that those numbers go up next year when we do our legislative ratings for 2018, but we're just going to have to wait and see. What about the issues themselves? What issues should have been tackled and weren't or should have gotten more attention than they did? You know, when you look at Mississippi, you actually have a really good kind of smattering of what both of the chambers considered. We have hate crimes um, and hate crime expansion considered. We have corporate subsidies. We've got taxpayer-funded lobbyists. Um, we even go down to something that's really kind of acute that I'm certainly interested in, in craft beer. <laughs> There's, there were even craft beer um, and craft brewery regulations considered. Um, and civil asset forfeiture, I think I mentioned before, was actually considered in, in, uh, in the Mississippi Senate as well. So it's not so much that things are not being, a broad area of issues is not being considered. It's that a lot of these, these positive bills are just not being passed. Um, and that's either because they're just not getting the votes or a lot of these bills have riders attached to them that make conservatives a little bit nervous to pull the trigger and say, OK, let me vote for this. Uh, or it's leadership and leadership wants people to vote a certain way. So Mississippi is actually doing a really good job in considering a really broad overview of issues. It's just that they're not just, they're just not getting passed. We don't think that really any issue is, is too state focused, is too community focused. We're big fans of, you know, federalism and putting more power back into the hands of states uh, rather than the hands of uh, the federal government. So, you know, when we look at education, you know, the House in Mississippi voted on high-performing school regulations. And basically that eases, you know, bureaucratic regulations on high-performing A and B rated schools and gives these schools the ability to implement, you know, innovative education programs and provide incentives to their teachers. We supported this bill. This was actually one of the education bills that passed. And so we're really, really happy to see that pass. The House also considered teacher evaluation reform. So that eliminates the statewide teacher evaluation system. And instead, local school districts will be able to adopt their own system um, that they can, you know, submit for approval to the State Board of Education. We supported this bill. That's another one that actually passed. So we were happy to see that Mississippi, at least the House, moved on really, really good kind of education-focused bills in terms of infrastructure. We can agree with a bunch of Mississippians who are kind of frustrated that we're not seeing a lot. When we looked at the Mississippi legislative session, we didn't see a whole lot about infrastructure. And I know that's, that's a frustrating issue across the state. And so, you know, that's something that we would like to see at least considered. I mean, certainly we hope that infrastructure bills are passed and are creating a a more strong and and efficient infrastructure system in Mississippi. But we certainly would just like to see these things considered. Do you rate individual legislators? We do. We also have a Senate Republican average. We have a Senate Democrat average, and that goes for the Senate and the House. And we also have individual ratings for every single elected official in the state. And we do that for all 50 states. We also have cumulative lifetime scores. So we can see how people are voting based on their average. So we can see, oh, this person's getting more conservative. Oh, this person is actually getting a lot less conservative. So it helps us keep elected officials accountable and helps Mississippians keep their elected officials accountable because it shows how your specific elected officials are voting, how they view the role of government, what issues they think are important, and if they're kind of wavering in their stances on that or if they're getting stronger. Can our listeners see these results? 
this is something that I hope that everyone listening goes online immediately and checks out because you can find, you can search for things by issues. You can search for things by year. Uh, you can search for things by individual legislators. So we really make it easy for everyone. If anyone wants to go check these ratings out, you can find our ratings at conservative.org. You can also follow the foundation on Twitter at ACU Foundation. And we keep everyone updated on the individual states that we're releasing, specific things about Mississippi there as well. Jackie Anderson is the Director of Policy and Public Affairs for the American Conservative Union Foundation. Jackie, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Karen, thank you so much for having me. Mississippi legislators also drafted bills on sanctuary cities, Medicaid fraud, and occupational licensing reform during the 2017 legislative session. Coming up at 9 o'clock, Deep South Dining at 10. It's Now You're Talking, and at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC.